0: Well, I'm glad to be here. I know some of you are thinking, who is this guy? He's not even on staff, he's not a priest. Uh, Before that you think that they brought up a minor league guy, let me just tell you that the way I think of this is member Sunday. I'm just a member like you guys are, I'm not staff here, whatever. And so I think it's our chance just to talk, you know, like regular members. A few months ago when I was here, I think I told you things that you just don't know, that if you stand here, you get kind of a Marilyn Monroe thing, (laughs) which is cool. You wouldn't have known that, right? This year's thing I've got to tell you is I'm not totally sure we're paying these guys enough. I'm having the same experience I had last time I did this, which is where were you people at 915? I already did this, and this is hard. And John Beatty has already preached the two sermons before this, so I don't even have to do the whole thing. This is hard. So I'm just telling you, when you uh, are sitting out there and thinking, well, that was okay or whatever, it's, it's tough. This is harder work than I thought. I am glad to be here. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, just so you'll know, I'm Dr. Ken Wilgus. I'm a psychologist. I go to church here. Uh, I am, in fact, the husband of that girl there. Sally, would you stand up? Sally Wilgus, please stand up. It won't make any difference, but that's my wife. Uh, she, you can't see her. Um Next to her is our middle child, my daughter, Anna. Please stand up for what it's worth. Yes, please. Thank you. Huh? Huh? And my mother-in-law, my sweet mother-in-law, Sarah Irwin is there. You have to stand, Sarah, because today went well. Today is going to go well because that lady prayed. You have those people in your family that man, when she talks to the Lord, he really listens. And I am so grateful that you are here, Sarah. Um, and for your support, but I got to tell you, a few weeks ago, I wasn't that excited about being here. Paul was messaging me and asking, what um, passage are you going to preach on? And I didn't know. And I didn't want Paul to know that I didn't know, so I started desperately praying, and the Lord really answered my prayer in a clear way that day. And if you want to know how he answered the prayer, you have to wait till the end of (laughs) the No, I'm just kidding, I'll tell you right now. What happened <laughs> is that I looked in the lectionary, because Anglicans don't just always choose what they're preaching, that, that there's a worldwide kind of rhythm going here. I looked at the lectionary and I saw that today's gospel passage is Mark chapter four. And you ever had that kind of prayer answered where it's like God going, wink, nod, get it? That's what that was for me because I love this passage. I love the passage of Jesus and the disciples in the storm. As a matter of fact, I've actually preached on this at a church in Austin a couple of years ago. Paul never had to know that I didn't have a clue uh, in advance. And if you won't tell him, I'd be appreciative. And it made it look like I'm just picking out, sure, I'll just go with the lectionary of the day. But in fact, I love this passage for two main reasons. One, it is a powerful, true story that is really amazing that it happened. But secondly, this story just exactly illustrates what it's like when patients come into my office. Because you know, life is like when you're just kind of floating along on calm waters with your people in your boat. And I'm told that in the Sea of Galilee, storms rise up very quickly. And that's just like life, isn't it? You're floating along and you get that call from the doctor's office. And the receptionist says, well, instead of giving you the results over the phone, she'd like you to come in and consult. And you're like, oh, right? You get that email from a teacher that says that she'd like a conference with both parents, with the principal and the counselor there. (laughs) Oh. Or you just casually pick up your spouse's phone when it dings and you see a very intimate uh, text and it's not from you. Storms rise up very quickly, and suddenly we find ourselves in real struggle, in real crisis. And this is just like this. And I've learned a lot about how Christians handle storms. A lot of Christians, surprisingly, handle storms with a kind of storm denial. They know that there'll be difficulties, but they tend to think of storms as a kind of glitch. Like, if I'm doing it right, if I've planned ahead well enough, if I've exercised enough, if I've read enough parenting books, if I've stored away enough savings, things should go smoothly. And they find over and over again that it's not that way. And those of you that are older in the faith like me, right? You get to where you almost don't even believe in calm. You're like, well, here comes something. Because life is not that way. But religion tends to lead people to think that way. People tend to think that if I live a good life, like someone will come to my office and go, well, my wife left me, I've been a rat, I've been drinking a bunch, I've been womanizing, but now I want her back, I'm going to church, let's pray that she comes back. It's like now I'll straighten up and surely God will reward me with good things. Tim Keller put it this way, the basic premise of religion, that if you live a good life, things will go well for you, is wrong. Jesus was the most morally upright person who ever lived. Yet he had a life filled with the experience of poverty, rejection, injustice, and even torture. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Mark 4, this passage, is a great illustration of how Christians can understand and face storms, crises, difficulties in your life. And I'll tell you, point number one, I would alliterate this, but I don't quite understand what alliteration is, so I just, I'm just going to tell you what it is. It doesn't, they don't start with the same letter. Here's the deal. Point number one, this is not a superhero story. This is not a superhero story. A lot of people look to Jesus to be like Superman, like Christopher Reeve's Superman. Now that was a cool superhero movie because, you know, you've got the, you're, you're living your life, doing the best you can, but hey, if it gets really tough. Super Jesus will come in and take care of it for you. He'll teach you a little lesson, he'll fly back off, and you get back to work. That is not what this story is. You know how I know that's not what this story is? Because of the way it ends. Superhero stories ends with standing ovations. Everyone is excited, this is so great. Look what Super Jesus did for us. Look at the way this story ends. Number one, when Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat and he's waked up, he doesn't start by apologizing. Ho, oh, oh, ho, sorry, asleep on the job there. Here, let me take care of you. Nothing. He wakes up almost annoyed, annoyed, like the boat is filling with water. And secondly, he immediately stops the storm. And I think it's important to note that we're not talking about sort of light uh, rays coming out of his fingers and things got a little better. It's like talking to the guy in the play and you deliver your line and the guy that answers your line in the play, you find out is the director of the play. And goes, okay, cut, and it stopped. The storm ceased That's hard to imagine. I even watched a couple of videos of that thing. Not very good. You can't imagine a practical hurricane disappearing like that. But it was like that. And thirdly, he rebukes them for their lack of faith. Why are you so fearful? Using a word that's really reasonably translated cowardly. Where is your faith? Uh, That's not a superhero. And here's what's even more important the disciples, the people watching this, went from kind of afraid, like little scared to death, to scared out of their minds. Who is this, they ask? And that's the right question. These were Jewish men who at least understood not to ask the question we Americans would. You know what you would ask. How did you do that? That's not the question. The real question is who is this with me? Who is this in this room this morning? Since we have prayed and we are here in his name, his spirit is here. Who is this? Because they realized that Jesus owns the storm. He didn't just calm the storm. The storm obeys him. They knew from uh, uh, Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. They're no longer afraid of the storm. They know that Jesus is God, the Lord of the storm. Do you know that? This morning, I want you to think about the crisis that you may be in right now or the one you just came out of. And if you're in neither of those, then the one you're about to head into because storms happen. Do you know that the storm is not a random glitch that might or might not need Super Jesus to come in, he is Lord of your storm and is doing something right in the midst of your crisis. Do you know that? Many of my patients know that. Matter of fact, many of my patients have taught me about that. One pastor said that Jesus is not upbraiding them because they were afraid of the storm, but because the disciples feared the power of the storm more than they feared the power of Jesus. We have become complacent in our relationship to Jesus. I have to confess to you that when me and that girl, my wife, don't get along, it really bugs me. When we're, you know, when we're kinda distant and not talking, it really aches at me. But you know what happens when I might go many days in a row and Jesus and I are just not really talking much? Eh, that's bad, but it doesn't bother me as much. What? That's outrageous. What is the most important thing in our lives? Who is Lord of your life? And you know who's taught me this? Patience. I had a patient just about three weeks ago. This poor woman, her husband turned out to be a rat. Now, I work with husbands all the time, and you know that a lot of us are kind of rats. This guy was a rat among rats, and she's having to leave him. There was no option. And I told her just a few weeks ago, I said, I am so sorry that this has happened and she said I really appreciate that but you know before this before all this happened I really wasn't praying much she said Jesus and I are like this she did this with, th- are like this now and I've never been this with him I would never wish this upon me but this has been a great thing for my relationship with Jesus and I'm like wow okay great lesson learned do you see that? I see places that it is hard to see Jesus. you know places that are hard to know his presence? Hospitals, courtrooms. It's hard to remember that Jesus lives at the hospital. He's there now, he owns the courtroom. There's no judgment that God wakes up and goes, whoa, what are we gonna do with that? He's all there, he's all about it and he owns what may be a crisis for you. It's a way to draw into him. We must wake from our slumber. To be in touch with Jesus, to see the difference between super Jesus and the Jesus that is controlling the storm you're in, we have to awake from our slumber. Have you ever noticed the weird places and times Jesus chooses to sleep versus when we choose to sleep? Let me see, 10-foot waves, driving rain, a high wind. Good night. Wait, wait, this is not a time to sleep. And yet 10 chapters from here, warm garden, Gethsemane, big meal, Passover meal done, nighttime, good time to nap, right? Jesus is crying out and beseeching his disciples, can you not stay with me, stay awake for an hour? What? What are we talking about? There's a really good article by Russell Moore, who is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. His His article is titled, Why the Insomnia of Jesus Matters to Us. He said, why could Jesus sleep so peacefully through a life-threatening sea storm and yet is awake all night in the Olive Garden before his arrest, crying out in anguish? Why are the disciples pulsing with adrenaline as the ship is tossed about on the Galilee Lake but drifting off to slumber as the most awful conspiracy in human history gets underway? Then he goes on to say, danger doesn't keep Jesus awake. The judgment of God does. What keeps you awake? You ever have those 2 a.m. thoughts? You wake up at 2 a.m. and that bill that you think you might have paid late becomes a SWAT team coming to your door to grab you. what, What do you worry about at night? And think about what are the things that Jesus is compassionate about. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We don't see Jesus at work because we are complacent. And we sleep when we should be alert. And we tend to be way too alert when uh, Jesus says it's time to rest. Here's the irony. What I find very ironic in this story is that they actually wake him and ask him, "Lord, do you actually teach her? Do you not care that we are perishing?" That is such an offensive question. I really don't have a comparison. I mean, I, I suppose if Andrew Young asked Martin Luther King, "Do you not care about racism and oppression?" Ah, uh, yeah. That's my thing. That's kind of what I'm here for. This is the king of the, the lord of life, the one who's come to destroy sin and death and he's actually being challenged, do you care that we are perishing? That question has been ringing in my ears all week. And really, I've heard more the lord asking me that and I'll ask you that. Do you care that we are perishing? Not the body, not your healthy income, your healthy relationships, your healthy uh, um, communication, but our souls are perishing. This community is filled with people who are perishing. This room has people who are perishing. Do you know you can go to church for a long time, a long time, and never really know what we're talking about? Isn't that weird? Do you care that we are perishing? In Mark chapter 8, he says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Listen to some of our prayer requests. You ever heard this? Hey, I want you to pray for my uh, co-worker. They had a baby that was born with a heart defect. And we all, oh, because if a baby perishes, that's terrible, right? Do you know anything about the soul of the parents or the family? Do you know anything about their ultimate spiritual life? And do we pray for that? Do we even think about it? Do you invite other people to church? How are you dealing with the fact that you live in a culture that is getting so dark that it is rude to ask someone about their faith? It is not even correct to try to offer an antidote to the poison that may be killing your neighbor. It's just not nice. Do you know how to push back against that? I struggle with it. Are you doing anything? Do you serve here? Do you come here week after week and do nothing? Look, this is just member to member. I'm not on staff here. I just come up and do the thing I can do, and you can do the thing you do. I know many of you work hard here. But if you don't, if you just come here week after week and kind of make a little comment on, gee, I didn't think that was very good or whatever, and just keep going home, then I ask you, do you care that we are perishing? Not only those who do not have the faith, but even those of us who have been gifted with the faith, we still are struggling against forces that try to draw us down. Are you doing anything to try to push back against the pandemic of isolation that makes our families uh, isolated little boats all by themselves or even individuals in that house with their family on a screen and not interacting together? Are you doing anything to push back against that which is weakening and destroying our soul. Do you care that we are perishing? So what can we do to find Jesus in the storm? How do we respond to this? Well, I have uh, some suggestions, the first of which may surprise you. I suggest that number one, you slow down. It is weird, but I'm telling you the truth after speaking with hundreds of Christian families. One of the major problems that we have is time. We have conquered space, stuff, technology. We got that going pretty well, but all at the cost of time. Did you know there was a debate on the floor of Congress, I think it was in the 1960s, about what will we do since very soon there will no longer be a need for a 40-hour work week. We'll be down to 30. Yeah, that was foresighted, wasn't it? We don't have time. I suggest that you slow down and really Seek, what is the Lord doing in your life now? But that takes being at peace and be still and everything turned off, God forbid, be out of the same room with a screen. You can do it and listen for what the Spirit of Christ may be doing in your crisis. Not just begging super Jesus to come in, but what are you doing as Lord of this storm? I have to quote A.W. Tozer because I love A.W. Tozer. I did it last time, I'll do it again. A.W. Tozer said this, the words, be still and know that I am God mean next to nothing to the self-confident bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. He wrote that in the 1950s about how busy we are. If he could only see us now. We can't even stand in the grocery store line without being busy with something. We are busy all the time. Slow down. You must settle your hearts and be still and then begin prayer. Secondly, I would strongly encourage you to connect with other believers. Many of you know this, but too many of us don't. You cannot do this Christian life alone. You know, I don't know who's in your boat. Usually it's your family, but don't make it just your family. You must do this life with other believers who can challenge you, who can encourage you, Because you can't do this sort of Christian jet skier thing. Those people don't even need a storm to knock them over. They just, it's too easy when you're on your own. You need others to lift you up. Jesus himself said, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And finally, look for Jesus in your storm, not just waiting for it to be finished, but seek him prayerfully and in Scripture while you're in it. And really, some of the best ways to know how to do that come by following the examples that of, the, of those who have gone before us. This week, I was really reminded of a good friend of our family's. His name is Peter. And Peter came from China. As, as you may or may not know, my mother-in-law, her parents were medical missionaries in China and she was raised in China. Because of that, our family has had much connection and involvement with China. As a matter of fact, Sally's brother lives in Beijing. And we met Peter through those connections, and Sally's parents were part of a group that helped for Peter, his wife, and his children to immigrate to the United States. This was when it was really tough. It's still not great, but it was was very difficult to get out of China. And the Lord did that for him. And you might think that that's the story of a man who was rescued from a storm by Jesus. But that's not the way that Peter tells the story. Because Peter tells the story, he got here, Peter is a, a, a world-famous physicist, and started in the medical field, but he didn't last long, he quit that, because he heard the cry of people saying, do you care that we are perishing? And you know who he's answering? His countrymen, Chinese uh, nationals coming here for training, education, this was a ripe field right here to share the gospel with people who would never know and who are perishing. For Peter, he wasn't rescued out of economic hardship and perhaps even oppression. He was brought into the field to save those who are perishing until about a week ago. Due to the weirdest circumstance, Peter was knocked down by an aggressive dog and has shattered his spine. He is paralyzed, or at least we're not sure how this is going to go. And Peter, we've been praying like you can't believe for Peter's healing. But you know what? We got to hear secondhand what Peter's prayer was. And this was his prayer when he was in uh, the hospital that first night. He prayed, Lord, if it is for me to to die and to go home, take me with you. But if it is not, if there is still work for me to do here, then be my surgeon. That was his prayer. You and I are thinking, oh, this is the storm of a ridiculous and and horrible physical accident. That's not the storm Peter's concerned about. Either, if there's more for me to do to save those who are perishing, then be my surgeon. And you know what the results are? I don't know. It's been several days doing okay, not great, pain. You know, super Jesus hadn't flown in. But Jesus lives there. I've talked with his family. We know Peter. He is there, and they know he is there, and they find peace in that. And I find that to be very challenging. As a matter of fact, this week I've spent a lot of time thinking about how much easier it is for me to pray for my friend Peter's healing than for me to pray for the healing of all of those who were perishing all this time during his ministry. I prayed some for his ministry, but not like this. What is the real storm? Do you care, Ken, that we are perishing? And that's my suggestion to you this morning. Ask yourself, do you care? Do you hear Jesus asking you, do you care that we are perishing? Do you see Jesus in your storm? And are you seeking him out in everything that you do? Jesus is not the guy that might or might not swoop in and save you. Jesus is Lord of your storm, he is Lord of your life, and he is calling you to join him in saving those who are perishing. In this community, in this room, and in your family. So my prayer is that we be about Jesus. And I would like to close with a prayer that I didn't actually make up. St. Patrick wrote this prayer. And if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, I want you to pray this prayer with me in silence. This is called the breastplate of St. Patrick. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone who sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.